0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Thank You, Now What?, a podcast about life after service. I'm your host, Matt DeVivo. This show is produced by Ben Murray. On today's episode, we spoke with Nelson Miller. Nelson is a retired Navy SEAL and veteran of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. He served from the 1980s until the 2000s. He's our first Navy SEAL on the program, so it took us 20 episodes, but I'm certain that we got the right one. I've been eating at Nelson's restaurants for about 10 years, and I could go there three times a week if I'm in town. If you're ever in Tucson, don't leave before visiting a Trident. I also know he's incredibly invested in his local community and we can't likely summarize everything he does just in this intro. I
1: try not to jump into anything I can't get into with both feet, you know, cause I don't want to half-ass anything, but there's plenty to do. And if we all did just a little bit more, I think that the
0: benefits would be tremendous. Quick note that we spent the first five minutes or so talking about the podcast itself. So if you get our bonus episodes on Patreon, You've probably heard all of this already. Still, if you want to skip ahead, we won't take offense. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Nelson, and thank you for listening. So my producer, Ben, and I went to business school together. Yep. He works in film and television, and he's, he's done that for like 20 years. Okay. So maybe like not even a year after business school got out, I listened to a ton of podcasts, and I just thought... Hey, maybe I could do an interview show and I want to do something kind of off the beaten path. So I don't want to do a traditional like we're all bros and vets and all that kind of shit. But um, a lot of people that I talk to now that I've been out for like six years really bring up this issue of transition Hmm. and what it means and what phases you go through and and something that i kind of term you know reaching escape velocity Mm -hmm. and that you you have actually you've actually moved on like in full like you know mentally emotionally professionally uh, and you're not still tethered to your old identity right so i want to get those conversations out into the public but i know that we as vets like tend to be closed off sure and so I want to kind of be the interviewer and and you can talk to me and and trust me that we have some shared experience, but I understand that we're all pretty diverse in our own right. Sure. Um, And and we really wanted to focus on like the transitionary aspect. We Uh do have people who listen who've never been in the military at all. And some of those are like our biggest fans. Okay. Yeah. How'd you meet Ben? We did our executive MBA. We're both from New York. Okay. Or we both live in New York. I'm from Boston. I think he's from... York, I think originally. Okay, uh, but but not prior military. No, not prior military. Okay. So uh, you know, we became buddies at grad school, and then I wrote up like a pitch because I, I have no idea how to do the audio production, mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> like okay, hit record. Like I would be recording this on my phone yeah. Other, otherwise. Yeah. So and I have no idea how to mix it or cut it or anything like that. Right. So I wrote like a two page pitch and gave it to Ben and I was like hey if you know anyone who produces podcasts or does audio production or anything like that can you pass this to them and let them know that I want to talk to him about producing a show and he read it and he was like man I don't know much of, I don't know much about audio cuz he's like a he does like picture finishing and stuff yeah. like he works with uh, Ken Burns and does like restoration and, and you know refinishing of like all that great shit you see in the documentary that's like out, out of this world. And uh, he's like, I don't know anything about this, but I want to do this with you. Okay. Um, so we've been, so that was like last March. So from concept, it's about 10 months. And then we put our first episode out in May on Memorial day. So Fantastic. it's been like yeah, eight months or so. You're enjoying it. Yeah. Good. It's a lot of work. I bet. It's a labor of labor. People never think
1: about that. You know, it's, it's like everything is a lot more work than people think.
0: There's like almost a million active podcasts that yeah. are just being broadcast out on the internet. If you had a staff, then you could research the interview, conduct the interview, hand it over and it, and it posts. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have a step. Right. You know, like a fraction of a percent of podcasts are profitable and could even hire anybody. We don't take money. We, we take about half of the money that we get and we put it into production and we come out of pocket for a lot still. Wow. And then we take the other half and give it away to nonprofits that support or honor military veterans. That's awesome. Yeah. Good. So we figured like we can't be like profiteers off people sharing their stories. Yeah. 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 Well, mm. I mean, maybe there. Maybe one day the balance is a little bit better. I don't. I don't know. You said only a, per, a
1: percentage of a percent is actually profitable in the podcast? Well, the way that you monetize
0: podcasts is like anything. It's advertising, yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's some people that do like subscription-based, but when you do a subscription, you know, we actually have a subscription. We tier it out, so we offer like more perks the higher you go, but it's only like between $1 and $5 a month or an episode. Okay. I think something we might move into is like grant writing. So Ben's got a couple avenues for that, and I think that uh, I got to research how that whole process goes. But if we... Write a grant, you know, that can pay for the production, and then everyone's contributions from the listener side can go straight through, and we can redirect 100%, which is, right. my, which is my goal. That's fantastic. And then okay. market it a little bit, and, uh, and you know, just, like, do good while doing something interesting.
1: Right. All right. Well, right. congratulations. That's awesome.
0: Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. You're still living up in, in the city? Yeah, New York City, yeah. Holy hell. It's, uh, it's a little different from here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thanks for reversing the interview on me just to start out. That's a pro. That's like I such just a, thought it would be a good idea to catch up. Such a yeah. pro
1: move. Yeah,
0: yeah. Pro, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how much time do you have, by the way?
1: I'm good. I, I got a meeting. I told them tentatively at 4.30. Okay. But it's my meeting, so I can move it to whenever I want. So I don't know how long. Okay. I, I noticed that. The Canadian guy was over an hour. Yeah. So you told me. Uh, we, so we
0: typically, I mean, it's content dependent. We typically record for like 90 minutes okay. to two hours and okay. then trim it down. Okay. So that's usually a result of a lot of like editing and, uh, and that kind of shit. That'd but be no problem at all. At some point, I would just have to shoot a text or two. Oh, okay. Cool. So Yeah. yeah so
1: it's my it's meeting. So okay. <laughs> it's good.
0: easy to move those around. Uh, that's good.
1: And if any time during this, you're like, okay, this dude's boring as fuck you're like, hey, this isn't going to
0: work. Yeah. You're not hurting my feelings being like, get the fuck out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that won't happen. So, okay. Just right. throwing it out there. Okay, great. So one thing I know about you is you're like a D.C., Maryland guy? Yeah, born and raised yeah. in Maryland. Yeah. Yep. And you like coast or inland? Inland, like just Bethesda's where I was born. So just oh, north really? of the city. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because you're like a huge... Uh, so Washington and, football team. Very much and, so. And, uh, yeah. yeah and, uh, and, and Caps fan, they won it yeah. recently.
1: No, they lost to Pittsburgh the last two games in a shootout, which is, oh, they won the cup recently. The cup, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was actually at game five in Vegas. Oh, yeah? They played the Knights. I bought tickets before the series started, and I bought tickets for game five at $1,700 a seat. I was dating a chick, and I'm like, okay, oh, I'm going to take her. We break up like a week before the game. I take my buddy. And it was amazing. They won the cup while I was there, wow. so it was pretty cool. It was yeah. pretty cool. But this is the first season I have not attended a Redskins game.
0: That's oh, yeah. pretty sad. Yeah, but obviously. Yeah, we uh, we don't get into like political shit, but the football team thing, yeah. right? Like they uh, they yeah. haven't renamed them yet, but they're deciding that they're they going
1: to go another year as the Washington Football Team. Yeah, and uh, I got friends within the organization. They think that's going to be it from here on out. They're going to keep it. What for? How long? Forever. It's just going to be forever known as the Washington Football Team. That's weird. Yep. What is their mascot? Like a football? They're not going to have one. What? What do they need to do? Dressed like an eagle running around for? You know, it's it's like I don't know. <laughs> I'm actually good with it. I like the uniforms. I'm tired of the controversy. Yeah. With everything else going on, it was like page three at best, and I might give a shits about. So yeah,
0: I'm like whatever. Do you still have the uh, like custom Washington car? Oh, no, no. That was, no. I traded that. It was a smart car. Yeah. It was pretty badass.
1: No, yeah. I got rid of that. I have a Fiat now, so.
0: Oh, okay. Much bigger. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> do you have like the souped up Fiat?
1: Yeah. I got that Abarth model or whatever it's called. Yeah. yeah. it's nice. It's, it's I, actually, I actually do like it a lot. It's my second Fiat. Obviously,
0: I liked them. You like whip that thing around in the desert and stuff? It's
1: actually kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So how long have you been out here in Tucson? Since '05, since retiring. Yeah?
1: Mm-hmm. What, what is it about? it? I took that GS job out of the facility. Yeah. So it's just a natural. I mean, I knew the day I retired, I was moving out here. Okay. So having jumped out here from 95 to '05, I love Tucson. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, and I was out here jumping a lot. So I opened the first restaurant in 2001, four years before I retired, knowing that I was coming out here. Oh really? Yeah. Oh okay. So opening a restaurant from the other side of the country isn't the best idea in the world. <laughs> and uh, we literally opened in August of 2001, and 9/11 hit. Yeah. So all my little jump trips, gone. Yeah. So it was it was a disaster. Just writing checks every month to keep payroll up and shit like that. So, yeah. but it persevered. And we're, we're still we are still here. So that's good.
0: Yeah, persevered and grew. Yeah,
1: five of them now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, to in order to get there, we gotta kind of start at the beginning. Okay. So late '80s or early '90s, you came in. '85. '85. Wow, yeah. Jesus. '85 to '05. Uh, eight, well, '85 is a good year because I came in too. Oh, really? In, in a different sense, and yeah. you've aged better into this, into this world. <laughs> Touche. All right, <laughs> son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, like, what's it like back then? I mean, what were your, what were your influences? Because I'm post-9-11 generation, so yeah. I like to ask, what were your influences coming in, and, and like, how would you know that you wanted to be a Navy SEAL? Well, grow, I didn't. Growing up in Maryland, it was,
1: um, my dad was a cop. My mom did odd jobs and things like that, so they got divorced when I was around 11. My stepdad happened to he was a cop as well, so I kind of grew up in a cop family. But mm. going to high school and stuff, I didn't really, it wasn't challenging. I wasn't that all-American quarterback. I didn't even play sports. So I barely went to high school. I was more into chasing girls, cars, and um, not being in school. So I skipped a lot, work construction, fast food, things like that. Barely graduated, so college was out of the question. And in 85, the recruiters were calling you all the time. And as I just described, I was a very vulnerable, you know, they're the ones you're after. You know, that guy that's not going anywhere, so they... Constantly call. I looked into the Marine Corps and the Army very briefly. The Navy called. Was pretty persuasive. Took the test. You know, I passed. I, I, at that point, I had never heard of a Navy SEAL. So uh, I went in. They're like, just come in and get your physical. It's good for two years. Blah, blah, blah. Next thing I know, my hand's up, and there's a picture of Ronald Reagan behind me. It was a Friday, and they had me leaving on a Monday for boot for boot camp. Wow. So it happened pretty quick. It was kind of a surprise to me as well as my family. So,
0: But— It worked out pretty well. What was the recruiting so intense for? Like the Cold War or Reagan era? Back then they
1: just had quotas.
0: You know, each recruiter had to get a certain amount of dudes signed up every month. So they
1: were in your face. Now it's actually kind of hard to join. You know, you got to have your shit straight. And uh, they don't need you like they did back then. And I don't know what it was for. Maybe it was the Cold War. But they were definitely recruiting people like me.
0: Well, I came in in 03, and they were like, "That's amazing to me. That's that's super cool." Yeah, I mean, you came in knowing 9/11 had happened. You came into war. I think most of my generational cohort that I talked to, yeah. like, uh, is you know, is is of that mind. That's amazing. I wanted yeah. to be a pilot, and then I was like, "Well, I'll go do this because it seems like the time to do it." But you're like, it's hard to join. I came in and the doctors were like, "You have flat feet." And I was like, <laughs> "Can I still join?" They're like, "Yeah, of course." They you go, know, "Okay, cool, so, uh, all right." Like, where do I sign? <laughs> right, right. So when I meet people who are like, "Well, I could have joined, but I have flat feet," I'm like, "All you had, all you had to do was tell them that you're still in for it."
1: I had a server whose brother was interested in joining the Navy, not to, not the SEAL teams or anything, but. I took him to the recruiting office and just couldn't believe it. Like, he had a speeding ticket from a year ago, and they were beating the kid up about a speeding ticket. Jesus. Uh, He's like, you know, I could take you or I could take this guy that doesn't have a speeding ticket. It it doesn't make sense, but it does. You know, it's it's just a different world than 1985. Yeah. So good, bad, or indifferent is definitely different.
0: So what's the same about being a SEAL back then as it is now? Like, what what do you guys share— like intergenerationally, what can you connect with another SEAL from any era about? Well, going back to then, as I said, I joined, I was an
1: aviation ordnance man. So there's a lot of, you know, in reflection, there's a lot of times you go left when you could have gone right and you look back and you're like, was that the right decision? But So I joined as an aviation ordnance man and went to our A school, which was in Millington, Tennessee, and 30-some kids in the class, including myself, and at the end for somehow some way i finished first in the class i don't know maybe they were just all dumber than i but i finished first so graduation day they put 32 sets of orders on the table and there was one set for shore duty at a helicopter squadron anti-submarine squadron and uh naval air station north island on coronado so every other set of orders for ships company on an aircraft carrier Mm -hmm. and i don't know what you know about aircraft carriers but as an e3 on an aircraft carrier I'm guessing life isn't great. Okay. So as the number one guy, I got to pick my orders. I took the helicopter orders. Went out to North Island. Um, it was the easiest job in the world because it's anti-submarine and I'm an aviation ordnance man, So we would teach him how to load a torpedo once a month and do sonobuoys and things that helicopters do. But it was very not, uh, it it didn't take much. So I was working out a lot and I went to school and knocked out an associate's degree really quick. and. It was just a good time. It was my first um, my first command in the Navy. But in a bar in Coronado one night, I met these two cool dudes, asked what they did. And they were in the Navy, too. I'm like, no way, because their hair was longer and whatnot. And they were SEALs. SEAL Team 1. And I'm like, never heard of them. And I started <laughs> doing research. And I'm like, that sounds a lot better than what yeah. I'm doing. And
0: volunteered and went to BUDS in early 88. Yeah. Must have been your first time in a bar if you hadn't heard of them.
1: Well, you know, the 80s were a different time, you know. Okay. <laughs> this is you're right though with the books and the movies and, and yeah, we're pretty much everywhere now. Yeah. But getting back to your question, the general generational differences, I like to think there isn't any. You know, I still see the guys that come out here and train, you know, they don't know me, I don't know them, but you know, I've worked with a lot of other units and the only thing that I can see separate us, like at the end of the day, uh, five o'clock came, you're in your team room, we debrief, and then everybody went home or went to Bennigan's back then. But um, we would stick around and drink and fight. And it was just, it was more of a, I hate to overuse the term brotherhood, but it was more of a team environment. So equally as professional and as good as what we were doing. But there was, it just seemed to me that the SEAL teams were closer. And I'm, I, I don't even know that that's accurate. It's just what I think or what I've witnessed. Okay. And I hope it. It remains the same today because um, that was everything to me.
0: And that's why I stayed in for the full 20 years. Yeah. People willing to put in like much more than a nine to five. I tell you, it was, it was a lifestyle and not just a job. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Don't most people come in with, well, nowadays they, they enlist with like a SEAL contract. and then, So it's kind of the opposite of, well, this is my take mm-hmm. uh, from limited knowledge people kind of take the opposite approach. They come in, they try to be a SEAL. If they don't make it, then they go ship out to the bigger Navy and they have to do something else. Like you were dreading being on a ship. Well, when I went to
1: BUDS to get into BUDS, you had to have a a Navy enlisted code or an NEC, which for me was aviation ordinance. Mm -hmm. So if I failed BUDS, I could fill that role. Now SEALs have their own, it's SO, special operator or something like that. Yeah, it's SO. So I think now if you get a BUDS contract, when you join and you don't make it through, you can get out of the Navy. Really? I'd have to research it. I really don't know. But because SEAL is its own rating and they want more SEALs, they want to make it appealing
0: to come and give it a shot. Because I would think that that's like the uh, huge like feet beneath your fire or fire under your feet. Uh, if With like if you fail, you're going the to the fleet. of Going to the fleet, yeah. <laughs>
1: it may be that way. It should be that way. If it isn't,
0: yeah. Because I, I, I know you, that I there's, there's a ton of kids over in the 82nd that were going to be a Green Beret or yeah, a Ranger, and right, they're, uh, they're still a paratrooper, but they're in the 82nd. But if that's the
1: fire that you need under your feet, you're not going to make it anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, if that's what it takes to get you through <laughs>
0: buds or any of the other training you mentioned, yeah. you're done. Yeah. So at that point, like before. from when you joined before 9-11, we had few and far between conflicts for shorter duration, Mm -hmm. right? Like Panama, Desert Storm, Kosovo. Uh, And I know from talking to like old school Green Braves, like we did a ton of training every now and then something would come up. But over the last 20 years, it's been completely different because, I mean, we just we call them rotations for a reason. Absolutely. Right. So what was that first? Like 15 years, like for you? It's exactly like you said. It was a lot of training. And then I
1: hate to say you keep your fingers crossed that something happened, but we, we did. You know, we wanted to use what we're training for, which isn't warmongering, it's just, you know, the attitude that we had. So yeah. we were forward deployed to Macrohanna Scotland, and, and do a lot of uh, inner training with other organizations and countries. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. We even, I rode a boat twice, did two six month deployments in the med you know, stopping at different countries and doing this and that. And it was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot. But you always kind of hope that, you know, when called, we'd be ready to go, and that's what the training was for. Yeah. So I I did SEAL Team 2 until 95, and that's when I moved to Naval Special Warfare Development Group. Okay. And then Bosnia started kicking up and that kind of stuff. So we got more and more involved. You mentioned Panama. Very few people from, from our side had anything to do with Panama. Some good friends went. I didn't. What else was going on? The first Desert Storm, we were deployed, but I sat on an aircraft carrier most of the time. Huh. you know, we did very little. It was more of a conventional push, and they didn't seem to know. I think it was Schwarzkopf at the time. Didn't yeah. seem to know how to employ us, so we just sat. But we, you know, we're doing what we're told. So, obviously, the times have changed. Yeah, sadly. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, in a big way. For, no kidding. For a long time. Yeah, for long. An insane amount of time actually, yeah.
0: Where's team two, East Coast, West Virginia Coast? Beach, as well?
1: Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, cool. yeah. Odd numbers are West Coast and even are East.
0: Oh, I didn't know that, yeah. Oh, huh. learned something new. There you go, there you're <laughs> so, welcome. Well, like the way the SF numbers everything is crazy, <laughs> it's like the the way the army numbers things are crazy. It's like first the first group was 10th group, and then that grew into 77th group, and then that split into 7th group and 10th, and then 5th group, and then 3rd group, we used to be 3rd Battalion, 5th group, and it's like, Jesus Christ, man, just (laughs) like, go like 1 through 5.
1: I still, to this day, I've got a lot of Ranger friends, as you know, and you know, the battalions and the companies under that, I still, for some reason, maybe because I'm just old and I'm not very smart, but I still can't grasp it. And I've tried, but it's, it's okay.
0: 101st Airborne, like what happened to the 98th Airborne? Where's the 102nd? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. What's the best SEAL movie? I still love the original
1: Charlie Sheen one because it's just so stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I saw it at the time. I haven't seen it since. So maybe I need to revisit that before I, uh, Say that I actually don't read the books, I haven't seen any of the recent movies. Really, it's just not my thing,
0: yeah. So, I find that, uh, and this is just my own personal take is that I love the movies from before I was in, okay, even about conflicts from before my time, right? But I don't, uh, I don't really get into any of the post 911 stuff, like. I can watch, like, Dunkirk, mm-hmm. which is about World War II, but was made recently. Right. But I can still watch, like—I mean, we all love, like, Platoon and— Sure. Well, I mean, we talk about Apocalypse now, like, every other episode of this podcast. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's something about, like, uh, just not lack of interest in the stuff from your own generation, but being interested in the stuff from an I
1: never generation. looked at it that from, from that perspective, but it's definitely true. I get— yeah, people ask me all the time, have you seen this or read that? And I'm like, No, yeah. why not? And I'm like, I'm just it just doesn't interest me. Yeah. So there's too many other things to do and to see and
0: in life. So no. Because yeah. you don't want to be like, uh I don't know. I think I can it would kinda like preclude me from enjoying it, but yeah. I also don't want to be that dickhead sitting there and be like, <laughs> That's bullshit, that's bullshit, that uh, would never happen. Yeah, questioning this and correcting that. Yeah, I don't need that. Yeah. So I just stay out of it and it's all okay. Hmm. So what switched with 911? I was in I was finishing high school and yeah. I really couldn't put it into context uh and then I saw, you know, what unfolded but still as a teenager.
1: Right. I was out here actually in Tucson. I was wearing a tandem rig. I was on a squadron at my my new command. I'd been there again since 95 when uh we were getting on a bus. I was going over to do a tandem outside of Tucson and uh they called us back in, they put it on the TV, and that was right when the second tower got hit. And we knew then that the world's changed. So some of our leaders jumped in a rental car and actually drove across the country to get back because they, you know, all air travel was banned at that time. So we were stuck here for a few days oh, until wow. they could get us back. So then shortly after that, I bumped overseas real quick as a PSD-type thing, like guarding a general as he wanted to do a little tour of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So that was at the end of 01, and then... Made my first deployment over there in uh, January of 02 '02, 02. Like
0: during Anaconda?
1: Yeah, I was Yeah, I was on the Anaconda thing. Okay. Yeah. In a support role. We were in the bottom. And uh, it was actually a bad day. Yeah, pretty bad day. We got blown up by an AC-130. Killed an SF guy that was with us, actually. I don't know if you're into names, but Stan Harriman. I don't know if you knew him or anything. Like, yeah. Before my time. He got killed with us. Uh I was wounded but I just bled a lot. I wasn't bad off, but his SF guys were pretty pretty messed up. It was just dumb. Hmm. The whole thing was dumb.
0: Yeah. But you do what you do, right? Well, I mean at that point there wasn't a ton of experience to go around. No, and that's- the first Gulf War was what, like three or four days. Mm-hmm. Compared and to now, like the, the leadership and the knowledge that we have now, like all through the ranks. all Everything changed. Our
1: tactics, our optics, our use of uh, conventional forces and blocking forces. You know, we had trained and trained and trained, but you're training for something that you've never really done. So it's kind of, it's not, it's not clear exactly how to train. So yeah. everything changed. Yeah. You know, all our guns were, you know, fast gun CQB type stuff. But when you got to patrol to a target in Afghanistan, you got to reach out a couple hundred yards just to ID targets, let alone engage them. You know, our little red dots and 10-inch barrels were, um, were great in the house, but they
0: didn't, you know, we, we learned a lot and uh, started fixing our training flaws immediately. Yeah, I remember one of my old platoon sergeants saying, like, uh, you always train for the last war, and it's something that we kind of get wrong. Yeah. But you also don't know what exactly the next one's going to be. Like, when I went to infantry basic training in 03, we were—and uh, we knew, like, we had just invaded Iraq. And we uh, we were doing, like, bounding through the forest— and like flanking and you know diving down in the prone and all that kind of stuff and it's like i'm up they see me i'm down all, and all yeah, that yeah exactly yeah. it's like okay and then but what we're actually doing is like mounted patrols right uh, you know checkpoint ops um, urban warfare that kind of stuff and
1: i'm not saying the training we had done prior was worthless cuz it certainly wasn't but you know it took that to define what we needed to work on yeah and it, it was a transition, but it happened quickly because it had to, you know, it's just, you, you got to adapt and overcome and that's, that's kind of what we're supposed to do. So it was right. fun relearning some of the things and lessons learned from groups that just got back and, you know, before you go over and what they did and didn't do and what they learned from it was, you know, everybody's open-minded. So yeah, all the
0: units. So it was, it was a really good experience. Yeah. We talked to Monty on one of these episodes and he was like, I think he was third group in okay. like O2. Uh, and he was there and he said it was like the Wild West, you know, the, like we arc. we had no idea. I
1: was literally for from January of 02 till April, May, I was living in a Toyota truck with one other seal, hmm. like doing advanced force operations. I mean, I was literally two months in before I knew what AFO stood for. So we did not know what we were doing or, or why, but it was uh, learning on the fly and it was okay. Did you have some cool jingle stuff on that truck? We No, no, not our little Toyota, but no. we did we did do a little some jingle truck operations nice. and stuff. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, I love seeing a truck with a Nike swoosh <laughs> on it in the third world. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Beautiful country, though. Beautiful country. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. interesting times. Yeah. How quickly are you turning going back and forth early on?
1: Well, because I was, I was there just with that other guy working AFO. Uh, my squadron was getting ready to go. So I came home and then pretty quickly deployed as a regular squadron member. Mm-hmm. So the turnover was quick on that one. But then after that, it's, you know, you're gone for three or four months and then you're home for six to eight and then you get back over for four months. Yeah. And then, like you mentioned, Iraq uh, started shortly thereafter. So uh, we got to uh, partake in that as well.
0: So you're doing both, like alternating
1: yep. or just whatever comes up? 100%. No, we always had a, a squadron in each country oh, okay yeah
0: oh huh, cool yep so the civilian uh point of view is navy seals are total badasses they mm-hmm. can do anything it's a perfect point of view Yeah. Uh, okay <laughs> cool. spot on the <laughs> army point of view is like where the fuck is the water
1: <laughs> and, and what are you doing here and trust that's a big joke within the seal teams as well i mean for the last five years i don't think i got in the ocean maybe twice yeah Yeah. You know, we would do boat drops or whatever for currency and uh Other than
0: that, yeah, we put our fins away for a long time. So other than just being, like, highly capable special operators who can adapt to anything, like, what, uh, like, um, I don't want to say, like, your charter, but, like, your core purpose?
1: I think it's always going to fall back to the maritime environment. I mean, obviously, it hasn't in a number of years, but I know there's a push within the community. we got to get our feet wet again and get back to what what we are and where we came from. So, yeah. I think that's happening as we speak. I know some guys that were out here, I'm talking to them as to what they're doing next. They're going on a dive trip. And I'm like, how about that? Good, yeah. good. Nice. Get back on the attack board and get underwater. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm going to sound like a total boob by, by like uh, terming it this way, but like the captain Phillips uh, thing is maybe, I guess one event in recent history where you guys like rocked it, you know, in the water. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep.
1: Being able to drop boats anywhere, yeah. At any time of day and night. And I mean, it's a remarkable capability that we we like to do and we pride ourselves on it. Okay. So, yeah. and they did rock that one. It was pretty good. I have not seen that movie.
0: Neither have I. <laughs> but that's, a, that's so much But about... I know the guys over
1: there and I've got to have beers with them. So yeah. I've, I've done better than see the movie.
0: Sorry, I should have brought beers that's, to this, uh, We're all good. Okay, cool. I mean, it is like 3 p.m. <laughs> during the week. <laughs> Can we talk about Jessica Lynch? Sure. Okay, because I couldn't find much, but I I did see that you were on the radio like a couple years ago talking Uh about, uh, I guess, can we start from the beginning and then have you like talked uh, since? Actually, we have because of that radio. And that was
1: a a local guy that does that American Warrior broadcast, remarkable American and supports the military crazily, invited me on a show. They were raising money for what's the house called? It's like a McDonald's house, but it's for military family members. When a, a member's in the hospital, it's, it's similar to the McDonald's house for kids. I think that's for kids. This is a,
0: it'll come to me hopefully sooner than later. Okay.
1: But we'll, they will uh,
0: put it in the show notes if not.
1: Yeah. They were raising money for that. And he okay. briefed me on what it was. And I'm like, sure. And one of his guests was Jessica Lynch. So we were on the air together and, you know, we hit it off exchange, hit it off. You know, we just You know, I'm glad you're fine type stuff and exchanged numbers. And I have stayed in touch. Hmm. And that night when we carried her out of the hospital, I told myself one day I'd like to have a beer with her. And she was in Phoenix doing a, her friend was killed that morning. And there was some dedication to her friend in Phoenix. And she contacted me, told me where she was and she had some time off. So I went up there and I had that beer with her, which was super cool.
0: How many years later? Oh my gosh
1: had to be nine years later, something like that. Wow. Yeah. At least. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Time kind of stops when you're my age. (laughs) So it doesn't stop, which is the problem. But it was a long time later, but we did make it
0: happen. Because that was like she got captured like the third or fourth day of the invasion, right? It was early on. I don't think it was... super early. Yeah. They were getting close to
1: Nazaria when they got separated and they got hit and then... uh, most of them got killed and she was taken taken captive but it was when did we get her april 1st was the day cuz it was april fool's day when we went in that night at midnight but what year was that oh, 2000 three. it was 2003 yeah okay then it had to be 15 years
0: okay between carrying
1: her out of the hospital and having a beer
0: with her did, did that- you know that you were like part of like the, one of the biggest news well stories of the the war you know it popped up because she was held
1: captive what was it nine days six days nine days yeah it was like a week or so i shouldn't i should know more than i do but so it would pop up on our intel briefings what's that pop quiz by the way yeah (laughs) for me on our briefings we would hear like hey you know she popped up again so we'd spin up for it but we were doing a lot of other things in iraq anyway Mm -hmm. so we were super busy and um then with the intel came in with the video and stuff like that. A couple of us forward deployed, you know, across the river from Nazaria and we're like, "Oh my god, this is actually happening."
0: We brought the rest of the guys in and uh, sure enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was it like uh was it like a stronghold? What was the fight like? The fight, you know, you've heard a lot of things that it was made up and, you know, the the intel was
1: different and whatnot. All I know is we had the video. We chalked it out. We kind of knew what room we, she was going to be in. And that's about it. And the Marine Corps had been getting their asses handed to them there for some time. Yeah. And uh, there was going to be big diversions. And our QRF was going to land 800 meters away in a in a soccer field. Uh, supposedly, Fedeen was in the basement of this hospital as a stronghold. Uh, we had our ground assault force. I was on the helicopter assault force. But the whole thing didn't make sense from the get-go. Like, the— Rangers are a QRF and they're landing 800 meters away in Nazaria when there was a a suitable area close. And I I remember trying to change it in the initial planning and they had already planned it and they weren't interested in changing it. Where they were breaching the wall to get into the hospital grounds, anything they would encounter, we'd be downrange of them. So there was a lot of dumbness that was going on that I was upset about, but I was a troop chief at the time and all I could focus on was my role which was getting into the hospital, getting to her her quick, getting her condition assessed, and then getting her moved. So that's what we did. But flying in, I was on the outside of a Little Bird because we didn't know if they were going to foul the parking lot out front. So we went in with a couple Little Bird's first to execute the breach and get in the front door. And on the Little Bird, it was like a Hollywood movie because shit was everywhere Mm -hmm. on both sides. It was just erupting. It was was super cool, super cool. But I guess the best thing about going into that op was that night when we were walking through it and as you know you're, we walked through it a lot. I mean, we knew where the steps were and the video was was everything but
0: the, every the dude, video that the the source took beforehand.
1: 100%. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was outstanding. It showed her in the bed and it was like let's go. I didn't know what we were waiting on honestly. I think, you know, there's a lot m- more moving pieces to an operation than that that a lonely troop chief and myself are privy to, but I'm like we know she's there. What are we waiting on? It's already dark, but we waited. We didn't launch till midnight. Hmm. But the guys were ready to go. Like, it, it, it's a good feeling when they believe in what they're doing, which they always do. But there was an extra sense, you know, it was a hostage freaking rescue. Yeah. You know, something that doesn't come up. It hadn't come up in a long time. So we gotten into an in Iraq. More of a barricade of flow, self preservation, taking what you can take, and moving forward and stuff like that. But hostage rescue, it's get to her before they do something bad. Yeah. So if your buddy goes down, it's not there's no aid right now. You're you're blowing through. Someone's going to pick up your buddy further behind. But and everybody, there was no hesitation at all. It was, it's just a really cool feeling. I, I know you know that feeling. It's just like I just didn't like the waiting. Yeah, like let's go. Yeah, and but we did, and it went well, obviously. So. We landed out front. The door was actually open. I had another agency guy with me that his job, I'd used him in Afghanistan, a fluid speaker and a great guy. And uh, like I said, I'd worked with him a lot, had nothing but trust. And his job was to come in and find somebody that knew where she was in case she wasn't in that room. And we got there and it was locked and everything. There's so much happening in that hospital. But she was on the second floor. It was supposed to be, I think, two doors down to the right it was locked, so we shotgun breached it, went in. She wasn't there, so dry hole. But sure enough, as I came back out, my guy was there with the dude with the white coat. And it's like, Nelson, she's down here. And pointed out, and you know the deal. We had to clear every room on that floor. And then, yeah. you know, I think it was a seven-story building. So we didn't clear the whole thing. We cleared the floor because time was of the essence. So, And then held it. A lot of wounded Iraqis were in there. Yeah. It was just a shit show, but it was it was also a lot of fun. So. yeah. Got the medic on her, got her assessed, and got her moved. And I think from us touching ground to her leaving was like eight minutes. Wow. So it went really quick.
0: What was it like to see her? And did she understand, like, what was happening? Because I I get your feeling about, like, hostage rescue is something that you train for. This is, like, your, like, purpose in the military. Right. Right? And then, like, getting to do it, having it be a success— uh, but you know, it's gotta be so moving to just see the look on her face. She was a mess. Yeah.
1: We were continuing shotgun breaching down the hallways and stuff
0: and there's more shooting outside and
1: she was just screaming, not saying anything that made any sense, uh, obviously in pain. And until we got her on the, the stretcher and we're carrying her downstairs and she turned and said, my arm hurts. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, thank God, you know, cause I understand that. Yeah, your arm hurts, but we're, we're, we're about there. Yeah. so we ended up being there for a long time. You probably heard they they had buried some of the bodies out front that were part of her unit, and uh, just the rangers dug them up and it was it was insane it was It was something else. so yeah. the fedine in the basement our q r f didn't get there like I expected, so we cleared the basement and uh luckily, there were no fedine but big sand tables and things like that so uh, they they had been doing a lot there okay you know? but luckily, you know. No casualties that I know of on our side, hmm. friendly forces. But uh, it it was quite the evening. But to watch those guys dig up the bodies, oh my God! I'll never forget that. Yeah, yeah, tough stuff with their hands because they don't want to. Yeah, it was it was pretty uh, moving. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. Good night though, hostage rescue. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> with uh, with all the media coverage. I think we talked about this in the episode with Glenn, which you listened to, but he talked about the first female soldier getting killed in combat and how Canada responded and how their military responded. I remember that a big deal about the Jessica Lynch thing was now everyone's saying, oh, my God, we're like sending our daughters to combat. Right. Right. And now here we are, 17 years later, we've got full integration across every military specialty It just seems like a pretty short time, but there's also this thing that is kind of just unshakable where you think about women in combat, and and a lot of people can't separate the two between sending your sons to combat and your daughters to combat.
1: I completely understand it, and I loved what Glenn said and Canada's approach to it. They treated her like a fallen soldier, and that's exactly what it is, but they moved heaven and earth to find Jessica Lynch. Yeah. Like she was, I don't know if because the war wasn't going great, we hadn't found any WMDs, if the, the public sentiment they needed something to, you know, put her in front of the cameras and in front of the microphone and say, yeah. you know, look what we did here. And it's it, that part's a little embarrassing. I don't think our country handled it well at all. They, I don't think if I had been in her place, <laughs> moving in hev- the heavens and earth to find me would have been nearly as significant. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm not. I know that for a fact.
0: Yeah. So and. uh, But they also spun it like they she went in front of Congress and then, you know, they were saying she was like Rambo. She's a remarkable person. And she obviously she shot all that down. She's like, that is not what happened. She
1: doesn't remember anything. Her gun didn't work. You know, she was a a clerk or whatever, storekeeper, you know, bringing supplies and um, humble as can be. And she did not like any of that because yeah. uh, it wasn't true, and she told him so.
0: Now she's like yeah. a grade school teacher. She's a grade school teacher, yeah. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you, you imagine having uh, Miss, Ms. Lynch for fifth grade <laughs> growing up? I would listen to her. Yeah. I mean, that
1: woman's been through a lot. And physically, I still don't think she's, she's great. I mean, her back was broke and femur, and a, she had a lot, a lot wrong with her. So I wish her nothing but the best. Yeah, Any... I'll shoot her a text every now and then, every maybe twice a year, just checking in. Yeah, and I and I like doing that. I think it just makes me feel good.
0: Anything you talked about over that beer that's worth sharing, or just between you two?
1: I mostly just listened. Like her friends, parents were there and stuff like that, and she was telling the story from her from her perspective. And I, you know, when they asked me a question, I would answer. But for the most part, I just wanted to have a beer with her. Yeah, and we did.
0: So yeah. yeah. Good night. It was a good night. So kind of dovetailing off that operation, we work across services a lot, right? Like joint force Mm -hmm. operations. Was that all new? Or I I guess uh, maybe I'll rephrase. Of course, it wasn't new. I think ever since like Operation Eagle Claw. Okay. you know, probably wasn't new right. back in the early 80s, yeah. but, you know, it was kind of forged when this all started, right? right. In special operations, having to work together with each other. How did you see that develop into, into how it is today? It's just like we talked about, you
1: know, we might have trained, but nowhere near the level that we needed to. Uh, we were doing joint readiness exercises all over the place all the time, but more those were more not for the shooter, but for the logis- logistics of how do we get these people from A to B? How do we feed them, birth them, and all that kind of stuff. So we'd go there, and the target would be stupid. We'd knock it out, you know, maybe do a seer exercise with it, and then we'd go home. But joint readiness exercises, nobody liked them. We weren't getting anything out of them. But mm-hmm. for, the, for the big picture, I'm, I'm guessing they were. How do you fuel? How do you do this? And all the things that we don't think about as shooters. But um, getting over there— SEAL teams and SF, we're small groups, and some of these targets, you know, take a lot more than what you got to offer. So Mm -hmm. we used Rangers as blocking forces, almost everything we did. Uh, We went over there with Humvees and helicopters, and in Iraq, that was no good, you know, so we started using the M1 tank and uh, Bradley fighting vehicles, riding around in them, and, you know, we got an appreciation for what those guys went through, driving them in from Kuwait. It's just like, holy hell, man, Yeah. but if we, you're rolling on a tank, you're a serious motherfucker. I'm telling you, I never once thought about tanks. I thought they were cool. Yeah. But what they're able to do is absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, you come up to the compound that you're hitting and they throw a tread into the wall, put a big hole in it, and I mean, and then you you know, give us an entry point. It just amazing.
0: Yeah. Of equipment. I've seen a main gun go straight through <laughs> a fucking two story building and just turn it to like dust, and then we just go clear. You know. I'm
1: glad they're on our side. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of respect for those guys. But the Rangers, you know, we'd work together and have them on blocking forces. But the night after the Jessica Lynch op, we had a big op, and it was something we had actually planned from Virginia Beach where. You know, we had the table and the model and all that, and we're planning it, and we knew we were going to hit it. But it was the night after Jessica Lynch. Had to do in-air refueling and all that and got, literally got the shit shot out of us getting to the place. And all we were going to do is clear it. It was a palace on a little peninsula. Hmm. And uh, the main thing we ended up doing was leaving flyers, like, hey, we can catch you wherever you are. It was really a, a stupid op, especially on the heels. We were all exhausted on the heels of that. But we went up there, and there was like three big guard towers Uh, And then the palace itself. And I went in with the Rangers because I wanted to see, you know, hit the ground with them with the blocking force before we brought the assault team in because we were getting the shit shot out of us. We're not going to bring the assault team in. You know, we're going to hit it from the air and then extract. We hit the ground and the Rangers open up on one of the guard towers and I'm sitting there and they're firing and my guys are calling me. Can we come in or not? There's a lot of fire. What's going on? I'm like, yeah, come on in. It's just one way, you know. Nobody's shooting at us. I'm not sure what's going on right now, but I'll find out. So, we clear it. It's, it's a dry hole. Nothing's there. We we don't have much station time because of fuel. We leave, and I get back with the rangers, and I'm like, hey, what the what happened? You know, what were you shooting at? And they're like, sir, you said you know, clear tower number two. I'm like. What I meant was to just hold your guns on it, you know. If a target popped up, do what you got to do. But to them, you know, hold on that guard tower means destroy it. Yeah. yeah, they're just young kids with automatic rifles, and so I had to get a lot more specific in future uh, targets and target packages as to how to use them and what our our terms mean and nomenclature and so forth. But it yeah. was just like,
0: okay, Roger that. I've learned my lesson. Well, that early on too, it's like guns hot. Like you're it was, still in it, it was flat out guns you're hot. You're still that early in on. an invasion because so yeah. someone in a guard tower is an enemy force, and you're conducting you know yep. combat operations, and it would quickly transition to now nah, this is an insurgency, right? Now you got to target discriminate like everything.
1: Early on, it was the wild wild west. Yeah. It was it was everything I thought combat would be type stuff. It was a lot different than Afghanistan. Mm. Afghanistan, my last time over there, we still didn't really know what we were doing. You know, you had your target deck, you're going after these guys, but hey, this guy popped up. Well, why don't we go do that too? And none of it really made sense over there. It was very, um, they were trying to figure it out on the fly. And that's not even a criticism. I mean, I'm not a big officer fan. And a lot of officers I've worked for, you know, they're only in the unit for two years or so. And they got to make a name for themselves while they're there. So we were jumping at ghosts sometimes that I didn't think was right to go after. And I would fight with them behind the closed doors. And then
0: when it came time to brief in the boys, it's just like, let's go. So... Hey everyone, quick break in the action before we get you back to the show. If you're a local Tucson listener, I wanted to highlight Nelson's love for animals and the work he does with Pima County Animal Care Center. Uh, We'll probably talk about it after the break, I think. Please check them out if you're an animal lover as well and uh, local to Arizona. For our broader listeners, let's catch up on how you can show your support for the show and engage. Uh, You can find everything about us on thankyounowwhat.com. There we have our entire backlog of episodes and descriptions. We also encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review our show in whatever podcast listener you use so that you can stay up to date. On our website, you'll also see links to contribute via PayPal or Patreon. PayPal is more of a one-off, whereas Patreon gets you perks starting at just a dollar per episode. Please know that when you share with us in the cost of doing business, whatever doesn't go straight to production gets redirected to nonprofits that support or honor veterans. If you'd like to give directly to some of the nonprofits that we featured on the show, go to our nonprofits page on the website. And if you want to swag out with some thank you now what shirts or sweaters, click the merchandise link and it'll take you to our online shop. If you do nothing else, please go ahead and tell someone about the show so that we can get that word of mouth sharing. If you want to engage with us even more, we encourage you to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Thank You Now What. You can also use the website contact form or email us at thankyounowwhat at gmail.com to get in touch directly with me and Ben. Thanks and let's get back to the show. So when is it coming up on your time being up? Because you're, you're carrying at like, a pretty quick pace, but you're kind of like approaching that transition point
1: right. rapidly, right? Right, right. 2005, I ended up retiring, and honestly, I didn't want to. We had just got back from Iraq, and a, a lot of things happened. I don't want to throw the guy under the bus, but the command master chief called me to his office and asked what, I, what my thoughts were for my future, and my answer was I, I fully intend to take a squadron. And keep going. And I, didn't, I did not want to retire, even though I had that restaurant already open and had a GS job waiting for me. I really liked what I was doing at that time. Hmm. And uh, he explained to me I was really good at my job as a troop chief and did a great job in Afghanistan and Iraq and the rest of it. But I didn't get along with the third deck, which didn't really make much sense to me. But the third deck was our admin. What
0: um, does that mean, like, in Navy terms?
1: Calm guys, uh, all our direct support guys okay. we're. And and our administration was on our third deck of our building. And I'm like, what? And all I did with our comm guys and the rest of them is held them as accountable as I would any of my SEALs. Like, if they sucked, they knew they sucked. If they were great, that's what they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So I might have butthurt a couple of them, and there was a complaint. I don't know where it went, but I appreciated the command master chief's honesty with me. I shook his hand and walked across the hall and dropped my papers to retire. So, and honestly, looking back, I wish I could have stayed in. Cause it, you know, it's, it was, it was kind of abrupt my leaving, but like I said, I had already had one restaurant open out in Tucson, out here in Tucson yeah. and I had a GS job waiting for me. So it was
0: time to transition. So okay. off we went. So you're doing these two things in tandem. So you get a job managing like a small military facility out here mm-hmm. and meanwhile, you're operating this restaurant that you happened to open a month before 9-11. Yeah, timing wasn't great. Yeah, but what, the, like, what were those four years like from the restaurant side? Did you even have time to like pick up the phone, take a call, be like, "Yeah, okay, no. I got something else going on. No, there wasn't.
1: It's interesting, you say operating, I wasn't operating anything. I was owning, and then writing checks every month to keep payroll going and things like that, because yeah. I opened a month before 9-11, the first restaurant. Uh, but before that, I was kind of big into the jumping group. So I was coming out here, I, if you totaled it up, probably four months a year, two weeks a year, three weeks there, supporting courses, yeah. proficiency training, whatever was needed. So I thought that would be enough time to keep my finger on the pulse of the restaurant mm. until I retired in 05. Opened up, ready to go, 9-11 happened, no more Tucson trips. So for some dumb reason, I wouldn't give up on the place and just kept dumping money into it to keep it going. Really. And looking back, I, I'm glad it did because I don't really want to quit on anything. And uh, as you know, we've opened other restaurants since. Yeah. But those four years of um, trying to own a restaurant, yet alone operate it from the other side of the country or the world,
0: it, it's not doable. So who was helping you out? Like how? Where? Where did the most? help come from? I had, well, you know, you have managers. And at that
1: time, I had a, I had a partner in the business. And uh, that went really south in '04. OK. Uh, a lot of liquor control issues with food percentages and whatnot. And it, it was a horrible ordeal. But I ended up buying her out of her ownership and became sole owner in 2004, also still before I retired. Yeah. So I guess all that, knowing that stuff, the restaurant and the GS job, Made it easier to thank the Command Master Chief and walk across the hall and drop my paperwork to retire okay I'm guessing that was I, it had to be had to have been on my mind,
0: but you know leaving the guys was not I can see that yeah, because you're still having to again, like you said, move out here across the country and true and like you see those guys roll through, but yeah it's not being at work with them but like, I know a lot of your program. It deals with the transition from that
1: to this. Yeah. And honestly, having that job out there at that drop zone was great because I still would see the same guys that I went overseas with months before, eventually years before and talk to them and go have a beer and tell stories and, you know, and laugh and cry about dead dudes and the rest of it. And it was just, so I wasn't completely alienated from it. I didn't, I didn't just go away. So I think, I think that would have been super hard. My transition was, was much easier than other guys have, I think, because I still saw the guys periodically and caught up. And like I said, grab a beer and move forward. So yeah. it was easier for, for me than it is probably for a lot.
0: You want to talk about the, uh, the decor before we get into the food? And the inspiration for your restaurant, the restaurants itself.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, you know, I come from Maryland, and one thing I don't like about the desert is the lack of
1: seafood. Okay. So I wanted to bring some of that. Specifically, I'm a big Maryland blue crab guy, like in Old Bay seasoning. So we use Old Bay on pretty much everything. Yeah, like, You put it on a shoe. I know. Yeah, you, I, you put it on anything, I'll eat it. So I tried to bring a little bit of that. My the whole thing with uh, the restaurant was we traveled a lot in training domestically and overseas, so and we drank a lot and ate a lot, so we're in bars and restaurants a lot, and I, I never understood why you couldn't go to a sports bar and actually have a decent meal. You know Why does it just have to be you know jalapeno poppers and some shitty nachos? you know so I'm very proud of the menu we have there, and um, you can have good food and you know, watch you know whatever game is on. yeah so that was the whole premise of it when I opened it. You know any team guy I've ever met when they got out, they wanted to open a bar. You know, it was just a thing. You know, we're going to open a bar when we get out. Most of them are smart enough to not do it. I did it. So here I am. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I've had many talk to me since. Hey, I'm thinking about doing it. And I'm like, give me 20 minutes and I'll talk you out of it. Yeah. Uh,
0: But that's where I'm at. So. Because your food really like anchors your restaurants. I, I hope so. And it's been. I mean, I'm saying that firsthand yeah. over several <laughs> years.
1: It's a work in progress as all restaurants are, you know. Yeah. it's cyclic sometimes you know for every all it takes is one bad review or one bad cut you know if you go out to lunch with your friends and you had a good time you're probably not even going to mention it you have a bad experience you're going to tell everybody so just trying to minimize that knowing full well it's still going to happen but i'm very proud of what we what we do at the at tridents
0: how do you influence like your staff and the and the culture of the place other than other than decorating it and like everything navy seal oh come and, on and americana no yeah. no you mix, you mix in some army stuff there too Yeah, but, it's certainly uh,
1: more americana i mean the original trident when i opened it in 2001 yeah there's more seal stuff there than than the other places but yeah. a couple of the newer restaurants just flags and so on and so forth but yeah, cool. you know i've had that one location the the original for 20 years now So all that stuff that's in there, gifts that, you know, flags from here or there, people give it to me and it's a small place. So I filled up pretty quick. Still
0: my favorite location
1: because it is the original and just a lot of memories there.
0: You opened between 2016 and 2019. It seems like one place every year.
1: Yeah, it happened pretty quick. 2016, we opened Trident 2. At that time, I had hired two outstanding managers that I had known that worked at a bar restaurant pretty close to us that was closing. So I knew the owner, and they're like, "Hey, you got to get Jason and Danny." So I talked to them, interviewed them, hired them, and they righted the ship. It wasn't that Trident was off course, but the hull needed to be cleaned. You know, knock the barnacles off of it. So I brought two subject matter experts in front of the house and back of the house, yeah. and they got the place running good. It was running well enough that I'm like, "We're in a position to open Trident too." So I started looking at property, found the place, built it out, and moved them from management up to ownership. So now they're partners with me, and um, they're partners in all the restaurants with me now. They are the owner-operators and the subject matter experts. I'm just the guy in the background that started it. So, okay. I mean, you know, I work full-time now. Yeah. You know, I have since I've retired outside of the restaurant business. Yeah. So I still see the closing reports, and I talk to them every day, and I go to at least one or two restaurants a day, stick my head in. Just, you know, nobody ever sees things the way you see it. So it's it's always good to get the fresh perspective. If you're there every day, you know, you probably don't see your kids grow. But if your cousin doesn't see your son for six months, it's like, oh, my God, they grew so fast, you know. Yeah. So it's just perspective. Yeah. So I keep my finger on it, but um, they deserve all the credit for the success that we've had. Okay. Yeah. Who's your chef? That's one of them, Jason he came over with the background, culinary background. So he does the menus now. We do a lot of taste testing and the rest of that kind of stuff. But he he does the recipes, and he makes sure everybody stays consistent.
0: Yeah. He's got, like, honestly, I think, like a gift.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm very lucky to have both of them. They, you know, and it, it's it's also good. The three of us can be in a room, and if two of us decide to go this way and the third doesn't, we go that way. And I could easily say no, we're going to go this way, but you know it's a democracy, so yeah. they, they we all look at things a little different, and I think that's healthy. You know, it's not a bunch of yes men. I'm um, just telling you what you want to hear because I I would not like that or tolerate that. Yeah. So so far so good. Obviously, COVID hasn't helped. It's not a really good time to own
0: restaurants, but um, we're getting through it. What are some of the things that you've seen during COVID and like what changes to your game did you make and how early on and how aggressive were you? I've seen a lot of good. I mean, we've got a really strong base
1: of regulars at each location. Obviously, the original tried has been there forever. Yeah. But even the newer locations, we've got a lot of support within the Tucson community that I can't speak highly enough about. So when we were closed for takeout only, people were ordering takeout. We closed to one restaurant... One trident and grill and one and the pizza pub, during that period, obviously it's not sustainable to do to go only, but it was just really nice, and they yeah. were very uh, generous. Once we reopened at fifty percent capacity and the rest of it, very generous to the staff. Yeah. Um, I, I try to focus on the good that I've seen come out of this nightmare, and uh, that's been first and foremost the best that I've seen. Is the the people of Tucson have really helped us?
0: Yeah. So and it's it's very appreciated how has your staff responded to it like they if i'm if i'm a restaurant worker i got to be looking at this thing like oh god what's about to happen yeah
1: no we the vast majority of the staff was chomping at the bit to come back to work i mean when we were closed for takeout only there's nothing we could do mm-hmm. when we brought people back we brought them back we lost some like some of the a lot of the staff for college students especially our servers in front of the house they might've left the area to go back home when COVID hit because school was shut down and the rest of it, they might not have come back. So we lost some anyway, some of our kitchen staff, more of our hourly wages, they were making more on unemployment than they were working. So when they had the opportunity to come back, they're like, no, we still get that extra $600 not to get into politics of all of it. Some people elected to not come back to work, but for the most part, our staff came back and they were ready to work and we gave them as many hours as we possibly could. And we still are. So I think that's what, what has helped us is we do our best to take care of the staff as much as we possibly can. Okay. And our attrition rate, if you compare us to other restaurants is a lot less, we don't have that much turnover. So, and I credit that to my managers and my partners, they just do a good job. Hmm. So yeah, we're back running 50% capacity Curfews at ten o'clock, but that just was found to be illegal, so we're back open till midnight on the weekends. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. That was just overturned in some court, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. It's it's just all insanity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Couple small business questions that kind of intertwine are one, how do you start opening a bunch of locations being cautious not to cannibalize the other ones? But then two, how do you ensure brand consistency? Brand consistency
1: is the hardest part of what what you just said. And you mentioned Jason and being the chef and all that kind of stuff. Like, help bounce restaurant to restaurant, check in and make sure everything's being held to the Trident standards. And that, first and foremost, has to happen. As far as, you know, shooting yourself in the foot, we've got a couple restaurants that are pretty close to each other. I mean, all five locations are in Tucson. But, you know, you do a little demographic research and there's giant neighborhoods over here and you see what... what the competitors are doing nearby and you can it's not that hard to see the need. Uh we opened Trident two, yeah, I think it's maybe four or five miles from Trident Original, but it's a just a separate area of town. And all my restaurant expert friends, you know, that place had been a restaurant before and it was a restaurant before that and they all had failed. And, you know, you get a lot of advice from people that have never been in the restaurant business. Like, I can't believe you're opening there. It's never going to work. You know, you're just, you know, no way it's going to happen. We open and it's been successful as hell. Yeah. Try to two rocks it with the big patio and it just does well. But, you know, you just got to kind of goes back to gut feelings, something I think we're pretty good at. You know, it just felt right to go there and we did and knock on wood, it's going okay.
0: Yeah, because it's the food and the experience, too, yeah,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Customer service is the one free thing that we offer. So you can go anywhere and get a cheeseburger or nachos or even salmon or some of the other items. But we really beat up the customer service aspect, mm. you know, from the parking lot being clean, the front door to being greeted in a timely fashion. I mean, that all matters. I I don't eat at home much. I go out all the time. And that's what makes me go back to a place. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing. And it... You know, we'll have employee meetings and those that have been with us for a long time, they already know what I'm gonna say. It's all about customer service. So I know Jason's taking care of the menu. I know Danny's taking care of the bars and the taps and the liquor orders and stuff like that. So that's all I bring to the table. Yeah. And attention to detail. Now that was a big thing that I probably got from the military. I'd like to think it was probably in me anyway, but if you go to the restroom and you gotta pick up paper towels off the floor, even though you know a kitchen guy was just in there, it's it's the attention to detail that you know, they'll hit me up with a closing report and like, look, we had great sales. You know, I'm like, that's great. But I was in there and I saw two tables with empty water glasses and a straw wrapper on the floor. And they're like early on they were like, Geez, you're just nitpicking. But they've learned yeah. that all those little things, if you take care of the little things, the big things will come. But that was, that was a they they my two partners mentioned it to me now every now and then. They're like, Yeah, we fought you for a while, but that makes perfect
0: sense. Do you see people leaving like the lower end positions? I don't want to call them that, but Mm -hmm. like your wage earning positions, Mm -hmm. taking some of those away, those lessons away? Do I see? We promote from within
1: as much as possible. Our bartenders generally were servers before. Our managers generally come from within. Sometimes I like hiring from outside, especially from a more corporate venue, because they got the food cost down a little bit more. We run a little bit slack on those kind of things. You know, I just want to make it right. Yeah. You know, we do peel and eat shrimp there. But if I was to price them according to restaurant standards, they'd be insanely expensive. So, but I, I'd rather sell more and make less off them than, you know, if I could sell one cheeseburger for $10,000, that'd be great. But you can't, you know. Yeah. So just make it really good and know that my percentages won't be, you know, if you bought the dummy guide to restaurant or whatever those things are, my percentages don't look like that. A lot of the menu does, but some things don't. But I want to serve those things, so we do. So I didn't answer your question at all, did I? Did, am I worried about somebody <laughs> taking <laughs> no, something? No, not really, but that's that? still some more yeah.
0: good stuff. <laughs> no, what I meant, well, I probably asked it wrong, but what I meant was with attention to detail and stuff uh-huh. like that, do you see people looking to you and and kind of taking those things and incorporating them in their lives or when they move on to something else or when they graduate college? I absolutely hope so. Okay. And
1: I certainly think so. I've remained friends with a lot of past employees that have moved on and gotten married and had kids and we're still friends. Christmas cards, I mean, I'm, I don't talk to them three times a week, but right. a lot of good friends that still cherish their time working for Trident Grill. And that could not mean more to me. So we've had an impact on their lives on some level. And that's good.
0: I know you're a big community guy. Try to be. Yeah. So other than your businesses or maybe both your businesses and outside, like what kind of steps since you left the military have you kind of taken to to integrate or to build teams? Because you're a leader. Do you build your own teams here? I've seen you coming back from a softball game. And I know that, (laughs) but I know that little stuff, little stuff like that can have a big impact. Yeah, It was kickball. Kickball, as funny sorry. as that kickball. is, it was yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. We ran a, a trident kickball team for a number of, number of years, and it, it's exactly like you said. We've got a great community here in Tucson. I could argue about a lot of decisions that are being made locally, but I won't bore you with those details. But okay. from the got a lot of friends within law enforcement, and I do a lot with um, animal care for you know rescues and uh, basically the pound out here, and there's just. I'm really doing my best to focus on the good side of things. And uh, it, I try not to jump into anything I can't get into with both feet, you know, because I don't want to half-ass anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of very specific when I do start with Pima Animal Care or with a name and organization, but I'm hesitant to jump in because I, I don't have the time to give it as much as I'd like. So I'm pretty selective. But there's plenty to do. And if we all did just a little bit more, I think the, the benefits would be tremendous. So I like this community. And like I said, during the the pandemic, they've been nothing but great to us. So
0: I owe them a lot for that. Yeah. So anything I can do to give back, I do. do so. Civilians look at you to like for leadership? Um, I don't know for
1: leadership, but you know, it's it's amazing. I don't know how lucky I I'm just blessed. I know some of the smartest people on earth. I've got doctor friends in town and uh, aeronautical engineer friends. And a a really good friend of mine just got elected to Senate. And, I mean, we'll sit around and have beers at a fire at my house. And I just look around, and I'm like, I just listen. Ex-professional football players. I mean, I know a lot of people in town, and I don't know how. But, you know, they need help with this, I'll help them. But, you know, if you ever need anything in Tucson, call me. Because I I could probably find somebody that will help. And they're always willing to. Mm. It's just... I've been very blessed, and I do not know why.
0: I just hope it continues. You said you don't know how. I don't know Is it how. just from being, like, open and gregarious and, and just, like— I think both of those
1: things help. Open, I'm a very loyal person, and uh, you're going to get the truth from me. So, and I think those are appreciated commodities these days. Yeah. So, they know what they're going to get. It's appreciated within within certain, you know— some people don't like it. I mean, I, for every, uh, friend that I have in Tucson, I could probably name one or two that'd be okay with me going away, Hmm. but
0: that's okay. It's, it is what it is. Well, I mean, polarization is a byproduct of popularity. Yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right off the cuff. That's spot on. That was well
1: done. Thanks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're friends with, Gabby Giffords and Mark Kelly. I am. Yeah. I am. I am. So I've seen you eating with Mark. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys have, I think this is a good point too, because I think you guys have kind of different political views. That is so well said. Yes, but yes we do. But you're able to, uh, you're able to be good friends. And I think that that's like a huge lesson a lot of people in our country need right now.
1: And shouldn't there, can't there be more of that? Like, we disagree wholeheartedly. Like, during the Kavanaugh hearings, I was texting him every night because I was losing my mind the way they were treating uh, Justice Kavanaugh. And he was talking me off the ledge and showing me the other side and behind the curtain. And we do not agree politically, but we'll go golfing or I'll go to their house for dinner or meet at Trident or whatever. And I trust him as a man. You know, I like to think I know him, um, not necessarily as a politician, but I've got confidence in him. So it's just interesting. Just he got elected to Senate, and so I, you know, congrats and all that back and forth. And I'm like, hey, you know, Senator Kelly, if we need, to, if you want me to delete your number, I will. And his response is like, I actually need you more than ever because I need to see it from your perspective too. Yeah. And you got to appreciate that. That's if we could all do that. My God, we might be able to fix this thing. It yeah. it sounds pretty simple, but we've had some heated conversations. But it's always over a beer and a handshake and a hug. And what's wrong with that? You know, it's missing. My God, is it
0: missing? So, yeah, very blessed, as I've said. Because the headline is like, they flipped the Senate. Yeah. But I appreciate independent thinkers above all else in politics. As do I. Yep. We'll we'll see.
1: I have confidence in them. I love Gabby. What a road she's been on. Yeah. So, uh, and I wish them nothing but... The best and all the success. So, I mean, the man flew the space shuttle. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty cool. I just sit there and listen to space shuttle stories now. Like, he wants to talk stupid SEAL stuff, and I'm like, no, no, no. Let's go back to that. So
0: Dude, I find that, like, I uh, recently I was catching up with a buddy who played in the NHL, Uh and I'm, like, asking him about, hey, man, you know, when you're on this team, like, tell me about this guy, like, this, you know, how the playoffs were and everything. He's like what do you want to talk about that for? He's like, tell me about <laughs> Afghanistan and tell
1: me about Iraq. Isn't it funny? Yeah. I, yeah. Same, same exact thing. And, uh,
0: it's, it's great. It's great though. That was, uh, that was like the first day I ever came to Tucson was, uh, 2010 when, uh, or sorry, January, 2011, when that happened. To, oh yeah. Uh, when she got shot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We just hit the anniversary last week. Yeah.
1: A horrible time. Yeah. Horrible times. We were working on the weekend, and I got a call from a SWAT team buddy because they knew I was good friends with her. And the initial report was she was dead, and it was just like, what in the hell has happened? Yeah. And obviously, she's not, and she's remarkable and doing super well. Yeah. And now her husband's a senator.
0: Yeah. Can't make it up. And, and yeah, and you still don't know how you meet people like this. You, I do not know. I hmm. do not know. Hmm. Very lucky. Very lucky. I heard that you were about to run for mayor. I
1: did. In 2012, people approached me, and I'm like, let's do this. And I was working for the facility, so it's a federal job. And a year before I had to put my name in the hat, I contacted the lawyer back there in in North Carolina. And uh, she said, yeah, as long as it doesn't bring any uh, undue operational security issues to the facility and the rest of it, the mayor is a part-time job. I mean, really? at the time, it paid 38000 a year, and you get a take-home Prius. I don't know what, what the hell it does now, but that was legit. 38000 a year. And a Prius. And a Prius. And honestly, until I thought about, others thought about me running for it, I didn't know what a mayor did. And, you know, I did some Googling, kind of figured it out. I'm like, okay, I can manage the facility, do this job. You know, I'm, I'm not married. I don't have a family here. So I've got time. I thought I could do it got my name on the ticket, wasn't there long because I called back to North Carolina again. I actually sent an email and I'm like, hey, thanks for to the same lawyer. I'm like, hey, thanks again for your help. I'm running for mayor. And all she sends me back was the Hatch Act, which precludes a federal employee for running for public office. It says a lot more than that. Mm. So I write her an email. I'm like, what are you talking about? You told me a year ago we could run. I could run. And uh, she's like, I'm sorry you had the wrong information, but you can't. So I had to pull my name out of the hat and uh, gotten a pretty good pissing contest with her about it. But now with COVID, that's one thing I've really learned is local politics matter a lot more than I ever thought. Mm -hmm. From the mayor and the city council, they're making making a lot of decisions for the residents that I would have never imagined they had the power to do. And up to the governor. So maybe— you know, Right now, I, I'm, I'm Republican side of the House and right-leaning, uh, but I'm very open-minded. Right now, I don't think somebody like me would ever have a chance of being elected in Tucson. But it's something I am not not considering. Why so, not in Tucson?
0: It's very liberal. Is that, has that switched over the last oh, 10, it's, 20 years? It's, right now, it's, it's
1: as liberal as any place. I don't know. Most college towns, I guess, are. Okay. This certainly is a college town, but there's a big military influence here. So I haven't given up. And uh, there's that guy that does that program I mentioned to you. He was the one that pushed me to run the first time. So yeah. maybe we'll have some more, some more conversations about it. I'd hope so. I'd like to give back more. And I think I could. So, and Mayor five. Miller's got a ring to it. I
0: mean, it just sounds good, Mayor Miller. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. might as well, right? You uh, took five restaurants through COVID without shutting them down. Knock on wood. We're still going. Yeah. Yeah. Knock on yeah. wood. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that probably puts you to the front of the pack in terms of one, managing during a crisis. Right. Two, empathizing with the working class mm-hmm. in in a crisis or, or just regularly. I
1: don't disagree. We'll see. We just elected this one. And uh, so we, we got a little bit of time to kind of figure it out and see if it's actually something that we're going to Move forward with, okay. But I'm very open minded to it, and uh, we'll
0: see. Maybe that's my next chapter. I don't know. What is it? Every two years, four every years, two, two? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh yep. wow! So you got to defend that thing every couple of years, right? Right. Just like Congress. Yeah. Or the House, anyway. But we'll see. Okay. Um, I was
1: open minded then, and I still am. But I'm actually a little bit more motivated now because I, I see what they what they can do and what they're capable of, and I, I don't like what I'm seeing right now. So if you don't like it, you should do something to change, right? Yeah. Yeah. So
0: maybe. Yeah. You can only tweet so much until your thumbs (laughs) bleed. I've never got into Twitter. I've tried, but it just doesn't seem to work for me. Do not start. Don't even like look in that direction. Yeah.
1: I gave it a shot. Didn't work. It's terrible. (laughs) Did you graduate from U of A? I did. I did. Yeah. Just recently. uh, 2018. So I was working out at the drop zone and had my GI Bill and had some friends. You know, a lot of my staff goes to college. I'm like, that's something I never did. So I mentioned getting an associate's degree early in the Navy, but that was just, you know, the resident campus on the base there. And so I never had my uh, true college experience. Mm. So 2015 or so, I got everything lined up and started taking classes. Overall, it was a fantastic experience. Like, I wasn't just doing it online. I was going to the U of A. Yeah. Still working my full-time job and had a great advisor. I mean, she meant everything because I I didn't really need a degree. I got the restaurants, retired military. I was there for the experience to learn. I like to pick classes that I wanted to go to, not that you have to have to fit a degree program. So my degree is just in general studies, which people make fun of. They're like, general studies? I didn't even know that was a degree program, but— it allowed me the flexibility. Like even towards the end, I found myself liking philosophy and psychology and sociology and all those types of disciplines, Hmm. religion. So I'd go to her. I'm like, I want to take this class. "Eh, okay, we can make that work. And so I got to take what I wanted to take. Uh, Some prerequisites, I had to take Spanish, which didn't go so well. (laughs) But uh, I don't know why. I tried and I tried. But- um, yeah, it was a good experience. So I got my bachelor's in 2018 at 52 years old. So pretty cool. Yeah, It was kind of sad, though. You know, I did a lot of lectures sitting through lectures there. And, you know, three to 500 kids. And I had a big beard and tattoos and the rest of it. And nobody would sit next to me. And it each semester, You're like a bouncer. it was really not cool. <laughs> Like in some of the smaller classes, I took a class called Arizona Water Issues, small class, but there was a lot of group projects. And, you know, it was all, I knew it was coming. And a teacher would be like, okay, get in a group of four or five. And I'd be the dude standing on the side of the basketball court that's not being picked. (laughs) It was really quite sad. It hurt me. But uh, eventually, you know, they'd get to know that I'm harmless. And I would contribute and try hard. So, yeah. but each semester I would go through that, like, oh, nobody will sit next to me. You know, it's places packed, but I'd have an empty seat on each side. Yeah. And it's kind of funny.
0: Yeah. I remember, because I, uh, I think I was like 32 undergrad, but yeah. kind of similar. Like yeah. I showed up to class late and then minus like, a couple of decades, but yeah. okay. Oh, well, yeah. But I mean, not <laughs> 18 years old, but I would show up to, and, you know, showed up with a beard looking like, He's Angry, probably at something else. Show up late to class. All right, who didn't? Who doesn't have a partner? And I just look over there's like some kid. He's just terrified. Who the fuck is this guy? All right, how do you want to do this? I'm thinking about
1: bribing him. I own restaurants in town, free beer, you know. But we never got that far. Yeah. It, overall, was a really good experience. I'm glad I did it. Going on to grad school? I've thought about it. I really have, but um, I just started a new job with a civilian company, full time job. So everything is time, and like I mentioned, you know, I don't want to do anything half ass. Yeah. So, and what would that be? And then, you know, we'll see. I'd, I'd like to. I really okay. would. Everybody thinks it should be in business or something like that because you know owning businesses it would only help. But right. I think I would like to go the philosophy route or something along those lines. I just like thinking that way. Yeah. So
0: we'll see. We'll see. There's uh. So my favorite podcast, I think maybe Ben's favorite podcast, is called uh, "Very Bad Wizards." It's, uh, yeah, I think the top through the top three subjects you threw out were philosophy, psychology, and sociology. Yeah. You would love it, man. I'll it's, have uh, to
1: write that down. It's yeah. a
0: Philosophy professor from Houston and a psych professor from uh, Cornell. Huh. But they're like, you know, they tell dick jokes and then, <laughs> but then they'll like break down a journal. <laughs> journal article, or they'll talk about ancient Greek philosophy, yeah. or they'll rip apart some new study or something, but it's, uh, they've been going for like eight years or something. It's my favorite podcast. i listen to every You'll episode. have to text me that name again. I will, yeah, yeah, I will. Please. I'll send you the link to it. Please. We've actually taken a lot of our like production cues from them. We're Very on the cool. same cadence every two weeks. Like, I've le- I've heard some behind the scenes stuff from them, because, you know, learn from other people who've done it. Sure. Right? Like, we didn't know what that... Right. Like, build a podcast. Right. The wheel's already been invented. Yeah, They'll exactly. make, yeah, use yeah. the template and then make it your own. So I guess the question that we ask everybody and we save it for the end is, who are you today if you never served?
1: Who am I today if I never served? Well, I came from that police type background, so I think service was going to be part of my life at some point. Like, I bet I would have been a cop if I wouldn't have joined. I think I've learned a lot from the military. I, I like I could not have been luckier to work with the groups that I worked with and met the friendships that I've had and the, the brotherhood that I've, I've lived through. So I, I like to hope that I'd be the same person as far as, you know, I don't want to sit here and say I'm a good person because I don't know that I am. But I'm, I try my best, and at least I'm doing that. So I, I, I don't think it would have changed much. Uh, I never intended to be in the military for 20 years, not for a second. Mm-hmm. If you would have told me in 85, I would, just was not that guy. But I found the right group to be with because I did well in AOA school. I got to go to Bud's. You know, had I taken that ship's company, if I would have been number two in that A school, I would have been on some ship somewhere and hating life and I would have got out in in four years. And who knows? You know, maybe become a police officer then. But I don't know. I'm very grateful for what the the military provided me. But uh, it was just a job. You know, it still it doesn't define me, although. People still ask me, "Hey, you're a seal." I'm like, "No, I used to be." You know, I'm very proud of what I did and the group that I did it with. But yeah, you know, we've—I've definitely moved on. I mean, the restaurants are named Trident off the insignia that we wear on our uniforms, the the seal Trident. So I guess I'm a little hypocritical when it comes to that. I, I like to say I don't advertise it, but my restaurants are named Trident. Yeah. You know, you'd have to go in and ask the the regulars that are there or the the non regulars if they know what. I think that most people just think it means seafood, yeah. that we have some seafood there. They don't think they'd, uh, the affiliation with the well, SEAL team— Well, it's teams. good.
0: It's authentic. It's not like Bubba Gump, yeah. right? Like, I, th- I think it's a little— it's, Well, thank uh, you. It's I very feel. well done. Yeah. It's very, thank you very much. No, no, no. I love it. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm very happy to have been in the military, and uh, we'll see. You know, it's been a long time, though. I mean, I retired in 2005, yeah. which is inconceivable,
0: but here we are. And you've got to see like guys go on and keep doing the job and stay connected to them. and Somewhat. I've got a couple good friends that I
1: talk to fairly often, but for the most part, and you're probably like this too. There was a lot of promises and hugs and tears like we're going to stay in touch, but you just don't because mm. life kind of gets in the way. But then when you see that person again, two years, five years later, you know, you catch up immediately and it's back to exactly where it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of your best friends are the ones you don't need to talk to every day. And I know that if I needed help burying a body, I could get a lot of people to help me before they even ask, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. You know? And that's that means a lot to me. Yeah. So there is no body. That was just kind of a, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think for, uh, like,
0: it's uh, our military listeners, we're like, hey, yeah, man. Yeah, I know who I could call if I need to bury a body and our civilian listeners are like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> These people are, are everybody needs a posse that'll be there to help them bury a body. Yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. I like what you said about the uh what do they call it? The butterfly effect. The uh you just you, you never come, know. You come in second place, man, in your basic course and different, God God different only life, knows where I'd be right life. now. Yeah, I'd like to think I'd still be a good
1: person. I'd be fine. Yeah. But I would have missed out on a lot, a lot of experiences that I cherish. Mm. So, you know, you never know. And that's some of these young kids. I don't want to call myself a mentor, but a lot of kids are asking me a lot of questions that work for me or that I meet. Or friends of mine have a son that's thinking about being a SEAL, so I'll take him out to lunch or whatever. And it's just like everything matters, you know, and that attention to detail when you're jumping, you know, or, and jump instructors and the rest of it. But if I didn't land exactly where I wanted to land... I had to be the guy to debrief myself. You know, when you get to the the top tier units, you don't have that guy over your shoulder yelling at you all the time. You know, you have to be your biggest critic. Yeah. And I've always been that. Like you take the shot, yeah, it was a good shot, but that's not exact you know, you're just it's not a perfectionist, but it's like I know I can do better. And somebody's always willing to take your spot if you don't. So Mm. I think it's a beautiful thing. Mm. So I think I would have carried that outside of the military anyway. I hope so. But the military helped me get there yeah. without a doubt. Yeah.
0: Nice. So yeah. We're, on to, uh, we're on to a master's in philosophy <laughs> followed, followed by, by a, a mayoral campaign. Mayor Miller. I
1: kind of dig it. Yeah. We'll see. Right. We'll see. Tucson's been good to me.
0: Yeah. We'll see what I can do. Fingers crossed. I'll keep you posted. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. Be on the lookout for Nelson building businesses and communities around him. Maybe even a mayoral campaign coming up. We're certainly hoping for it. As always, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review, follow, and join us next time on Thank You Now What.